this is an interesting year because the fourth day of Advent and Christmas Eve are the same day. So it's a very imminent experience. And we celebrate Jesus' coming in Advent. We celebrate his coming in history. But one of the aspects, and I try to bring this up every year, is that we're also expecting his second coming. The advent of him coming again. And what he did in history is such an important thing. We prepared for him to come. John said, prepare the way of the Lord. Um, the song that we sing says, let every heart prepare him room. And he came. But then he came also to prepare us for his coming again. Which I think is a really important thing. I'm in First Peter. Uh, it's a totally different verse than what we read. But it says here, and this is Peter talking to Christians who've already, who already believe. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Because Jesus is coming. And we need to prepare ourselves. Notice he says, prepare our minds. We, we tend to want to prepare our hearts. Um, what do I what do I love? Um, I think it was Al Gore in the 2000 election. He misquoted the verse that says, "Where your where, the verse says where your treasure is, there your heart will be." So whatever you value, your heart is going to be there. He said, "Where your heart is, there is where your treasure is." Scripture says the heart is deceptively wicked. Our emotions, when we think emotionally, we tend to grasp onto what makes us feel good. And this doesn't necessarily make us feel good. It should make us, give us a little bit of fear. When Jesus comes again, what is going to happen? Peter says in his second letter, um, that the heavens and earth now exist, are stored up for fire. There's going to be kind of a burning off of all the dross, all the evil in the world is going to be burned up like a purifying of silver. You heat it up and then you can skim the garbage, the impurities off the top. The earth was flooded, a global flood. And that got rid of evil, but not permanently. Evil found its way back into mankind's hearts through Noah. Noah, the only person and his sons and their wives, all of their wives, so eight people, lived through the flood. But even then, our sin finds its way 
back into, into the world. And we're in the same place as we were back then. Thousands of years later. Then we might even be worse off than what's happened back then. And remember, Noah preached the gospel, what he had of the gospel, which was oral at the time. But if it had been written down, it would be the first five chapters of Genesis. And you can find Christ in those chapters. So he's preaching a Christ to come from the oral five chapters of Genesis. And no one, and he preached while building the ark, and it took like 160 years. And no one believed him. And finally, he just dragged his family onto the ark and said, come on, let's, it's over, it's time. So, preparing your heart is not necessarily the best thing to do. Because our hearts are going to grasp onto idols. And when Christ comes, he's going to see into our hearts and see what did you love? Now, what he says is prepare your minds because our minds inform our emotions. If we're thinking about Christ, our thoughts are going to inform our emotions and our hearts will be inclined toward Christ. But in order for us to feel for Christ, we have to know about Christ. We were watching yesterday... It's a wonderful life, as we do that every year. And Anna can attest to this. I started, we started watching, I think, the first scene, I started crying. because Not because anything emotional happened, but because I knew what was going to happen. I saw the setup. I think it was when Harry slid down the hill and went into the ice. And he saved his brother's life. And I knew what was going to happen at the end. They're going to show him that Harry didn't live if he had never lived. That kind of thing. And so I started weeping. And and started laughing at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, that's because you started, like, crying in the opening credits. Okay. (laughs) Because my mind informed my emotions. Kathy did not watch with us. She was in there rapping, in the other room rapping. Yes, she came out at the end and started weeping a little bit. She said, I didn't even watch the movie. And now I'm, because she'd seen it before and her mind, her thoughts informed her emotion. That's why a, a great movie, any great movie, They don't show you just the end scene of the movie. They show you two hours of setup, of story, to get to that scene because you wouldn't cry. If if you'd never seen It's a Wonderful Life before ever and you saw George Bailey running through the snow yelling Merry Christmas to everybody, you'd go, oh, that's cute. The guy celebrating Christmas. But because... We see his life, and we see what would happen if he didn't live. When we get to the end, it's 
because our, our, they gave us information. This gives us information to inform our thoughts. And then the world wants to cloud our thoughts. The, the three things we have against us are the world, our own flesh, and the devil. I've said, I think I say this almost every week. The world says, hey, stop thinking of Jesus. Our flesh goes, I'm too tired to think of it, Jesus. I don't want to anymore. And the devil says, whispers in her ear, it's okay, you don't have to think about Jesus right now. Think about something else. The world says, hey, there's all this other fun stuff to do than do this boring Bible stuff. Our flesh goes, you're right, I'd rather watch Netflix. <laughs> and then the devil says, hey, you might catch some Christian messages on Netflix. Go for it. You're not going to get in trouble. So the world is clouding. Um, Luke 12. Jesus tells his disciples, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are watching for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Awake. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's so easy to get distracted by what the world has to offer. It says here, be sober-minded. That's not just alcohol and drugs and don't, don't load all that onto, into your system because you won't be awake when the Master comes. And as we're talking about the second coming of Christ. We won't be awake. But there's other ways you won't be awake. There's ways like, like all the distractions. I might be looking at my phone when he comes. I might be catching Pokemon when he comes. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Oh, I, oh, is it time? You know, oh no, I wasn't there. I wasn't awake. There's also intellectual distraction. Remember, the mind informs the emotions. Well, what does the world do? It tries to give us a bunch of, uh, of garbage up here to distract us from emotions. Back to that passage in 2 Peter, in 3. It says, what, what is, this, is, this is so fascinating to me. I was, I was sharing this with Kathy yesterday. This is so fascinating to me because we have this debate today in the science community. There are two, uh, we're reading this with, um, I was reading this with Rose, or either last year or even this year. There are two types of worldviews in science. There's uniformitarianism, which means that the world has always been this way forever. 
that almost solid state. There might have been a beginning, but nothing drastic has changed about the earth. And then the other view, which is what Christians believe mostly, is catastrophism. Catastrophism. No, catastrophism. And that means that there, that things are different. That things did happen. Major, major natural catastrophes happened. Now, why is this important? Because if you don't think anything's ever happened in history, catastrophic. The coming of Christ again is a catastrophic thing. You're going to be less inclined to believe that a catastrophic thing is going to happen. And what are you going to do? You're going to fall asleep. You're going to become unsober-minded, drunk-minded. If you believe that there was a worldwide flood, then you're going to be more inclined to believe that something big is going to happen in the future. And you'll be expecting it. And you'll have faith in it. So back here, back in the first century, Peter writes this. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? So already, already, Jesus said, I'm going to return. And within a few years, people will go, I don't think Jesus is going to return. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's the uniformitarian view. Back then they had it. It's not a new thing. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the catastrophic view of of creation, of, of, of life, of world. Boom, they're, they're neglecting that this major event happened, that everybody knows that happened. If you even today, if you go to other cultures, they all have a flood story. It's not because they took one myth and said, oh, I like this myth. Let's incorporate it into ours. It's because it happened. And they all know it happened. Every culture on earth, remember what I said at the beginning, Noah preached on the first six chapters of Genesis, first five chapters of Genesis, because I think six is him. The first five chapters of Genesis orally was handed down from Adam to Noah, and he preached on those. Now, Tower of Babel, when all the people were united and they all spoke the same language, and then God broke it all up and sent everybody to all the different locations and confused their language and didn't understand anybody, they still had orally the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And that's why when you go to these cultures, no matter how primitive, no matter how isolated from the rest of humanity they are, they have some weird corruption of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. They have a flood myth. It's not a myth. They have a flood story. They have different 
creation myths, but they all have some sort of element of Genesis in them. So they know in their hearts that it happened. But what the world does today, us modern sensible people, is we say, oh, that's all primitive and backwards. You don't need to... Here's what really is happening. We're scientists. Believe us. And most scientists don't believe in God. So their whole presuppositions are ignore this. This is not important. So, being sober-minded, not being confused by the world... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. Put your hope in the grace that's going to happen. Because what happens when Jesus Christ comes again is called Judgment Day. And anyone who does not believe has to answer for their deeds. They have to stand before Jesus and say... And Jesus will show them everything that they've done to not love their neighbor, to not love God. One of the two great commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor. And he will show, here are all the ways you violated those commandments. What do you have to say for yourself? Now, grace means, what does grace mean? Grace means not getting what you deserve. Oh, even beyond that. Yeah, getting what you don't deserve. (laughs) Karma, let's say, is what we sort of all live in a system of karma. You get what you deserve. Right? That's, if you don't believe in Christ, you're going to get what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then grace is getting what you don't deserve. What don't we deserve? Everlasting life. And here's Jesus returning to give us everlasting life, which we don't deserve. So when when Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we're not going to have to stand in front of Jesus and answer for for our deeds. Jesus says in John 5 that you bypass that part. Because all you have to do is stand in front of me and say, you know me, right? And Jesus says, yes, I know you. You put your faith in me on earth. And now I'm putting my grace in you here. You don't have to answer for your deeds. You get to skip that. And then finally this verse. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We we read that in John 1. But was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Remember, he came to earth not just to fulfill that preparation that John the Baptist made for him, but he also makes a new preparation for us to expect his, his coming again. So... He was made manifest in these last times. We're living in the last times, which essentially started from the beginning of Christ to now. 
He was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, for the sake of all of us, that through him are believers in God. You have to have faith in Christ. But without faith in Christ, you don't have faith in the creator. Christ, through Christ, is the only way to have faith in God. Does that make sense? You could say, I believe in God, but not believe in Christ means you're not believing in God. You're believing in a false God because God is only real. The actual true God is only is only he through Christ. He, that Christ is the imprint of his nature. Which is what Larry read at the very beginning. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, which we're living in, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. If you don't know Christ, you don't know God. The exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What did I just give you there by saying that? I gave you head knowledge that will inform your heart and you'll be able to grasp hold of Christ better than you were 10 minutes ago. I hope, I pray, because that's the hope in the grace of God. You don't know God until you know Christ. And to hear this informational text tell you that Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature helps you know Christ, know God better. And that's, as Christ says in John 17, knowing knowledge of God is eternal life. You will attain eternal life through knowledge of God. And you don't know God unless you know Christ. That's why he came. And that's what we're expecting. So... We're celebrating his first coming. Expect his second coming. Really expect it. Like mentally expect it. Because without the mental ex expectation of his coming, we won't be able to grasp him with our hearts. Our hearts are deceptively wicked. They're going to grasp everything else. Unless we know for a fact that he is coming again. And we know this because catastrophic things have happened throughout history and a catastrophic thing is going to happen. If we believe that, it's easier for us to grasp Christ and then we've grasped God. Amen. Amen.